Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show Podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. Today we're going to discuss how to read and profile people so that you can spot and avoid dangerous people before they have a chance to harm you or the ones you love. I'm going to be digging into this important topic with my friend, author, and the founder of Nature Reliance School, Craig Cottle. Craig and I are also going to discuss how to tell if someone is lying or telling you the truth, how to break free from normalcy bias so you don't become a victim. We'll get into the four biometric and behavioral categories that can help you readily identify a dangerous person or a dangerous situation. And before we're all done, we'll discuss how to read crowd behavior and stay clear of trouble in urban situations and a lot more. But before we get into all this great content with Craig, would you please help your favorite survival and preparedness podcast by one, subscribing to this podcast and giving us an honest five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Your reviews have already helped propel the Survival Show podcast to the number one spot over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify when people use the search term survival. So thank you. And next, go check out the mothership and home base for this podcast and everything else we do at ultimatesurvivaltips.com. While you're there, you can grab your free subscription to my weekly survival and preparedness e-mag and get a copy of the full show notes for this podcast with links. Also, I want to tell you about my new tiny survival knife and tool sharpener kit, which includes my dual-sided, dual-grit diamond sharpener with a leather strop, stropping compound, and a grip mat. Best of all, it all fits in a wallet, pocket, pack, or an Altoids survival tin. You're really going to love this sharpener. It's taken me about three years to develop it and get it just right. So go check it out. All right, that's it. Subscribe to and review this podcast and go check out ultimatesurvivaltips.com. All right, everybody, let's get into the show with Craig. Mr. Craig Cottle, my friend, and uh, previously, <laughs> you were uh, one of the original founders of The Survival Show podcast, and here you are. It's good to have you back, man. It's good to be back. Glad to be here. <laughs> so you've been you've been super busy, and uh, we've got a lot of new listeners to the podcast. So for folks who haven't listened to what like the first two two and a half years of the podcast, where you're on almost every episode, you want to maybe just give them a little bit of a backstory and uh, just kind of take us up to what you've been doing recently. Yeah, be happy to. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm Craig Cottle, director of Nature Reliance School, which is headquartered out of Winchester, Kentucky. And we've been in the the operation of teaching people how to be safe in the outdoors since 2006. That's included a lot of in-person classes, obviously, and a lot of uh, on. We have an online school that's getting that is becoming incredibly robust. And I'm the author of, at this point, six books. So those books range in everything from survival to navigation to uh, urban preparedness, along with my latest book, which is The Secret Signs of Nature, which is my first children's book. This this book is absolutely fantastic. And I'm talking about The Secret Signs of Nature. Of course, all your books are amazing. The navigation book is absolutely foundational. And the survival books are 
are also. But this being your your latest book, um, we're actually going to get into, we're actually going to do two podcasts. And this first one, we're going to talk about how to read people. And then we're going to talk about how to read places and navigating physical terrain. And uh, wait, you want to just t- tell people a little bit about this children's book that we were talking, <laughs> we were talking about a little bit right before we started this podcast. Yeah, the children's book, uh, again, the title is The Secret Signs of Nature. You can buy it anywhere where any location where books are sold. Deals with basically how to read nature signs, everything from weather to wildlife, corridor habitat, tracks. It has a whole lot of information on it from throughout the world. It's not just a, a book that's focused on my location here in, you know, central U.S. It actually covers every continent of the world and talks about different things that happen in various countries as it relates to what I call the three big anchors out there, which is one being the sun, two being weather patterns, and the third being prevailing wind patterns and how that affects basically everything in nature and how we can utilize that to to read the physical terrain out there, uh, understand what it's telling us. Can it help us forecast the weather? Can it help us forecast animal habitat and, and animal behavior and all the things that go along with what's going on out there? It's it's a uh, it was one of the hardest books I've ever written. Uh, it sometimes I think realistically it's probably the hardest book I wrote that I have written, simply because I probably literally researched and read probably twenty twenty five books just to write that one, mm-hmm. and um, I, I have a hot a lot of experience in the outdoors that I share in the book, obviously, but specifically because we went worldwide with it. And that was a request by the publisher. I had to research a lot of places that I've never physically been. And so I would contact tourism areas. I would, I would read books. I would read tons and tons of blog material and research material from academic institutions in the areas that I was writing about. And so that's the, the book that you have there. So it's a good one, man. I love that book. It's, it's like a, it's a labor of love, like most books are. Uh, but uh, it's it's so good to have it out there now. The publisher's been fantastic work with Magic Cat Publishing out of London, England. Um, the thing that most people remark on when they get the book in hands is how beautiful the illustrations are. Mm-hmm. Carrie Schrock was the illustrator for the book. It's a children's book, so that's probably the primary thing that people get out of it, uh, outside of my own writing. But uh, as I've said a, a bunch of times, that, that book is definitely what I would consider a children's, I mean, an adult book with a children's illustrator and illustrations in it. It's mm-hmm. um, it's it's got a lot of really deep material in it. And that's, again, the publishers in, a, in English, you know, a British publisher. Uh, so their academic understanding of how to write a children's book is very different than what we do here in the U.S. Very, very different. Yeah, man, I love it. I mean, if if there's homeschoolers out there or or parents who just love the outdoors, they're going to one, they're going to love this book. And uh two, you could form a whole, I don't know if you have anything like this, but they could form a whole at least one year curriculum out of this book, I would think. Yeah, I we um I've approached the publisher on doing that very thing, and either they're going to hire me to do it or I'm going to do it on my own, one or the other, it'll happen. Uh, I've gotten probably three quarters of that completed because I was doing it on my own. And then I thought, why don't I approach the publisher with it? Um, 
and, and see if they want to get on board and they're, and they're considering it. Um, and you know, it's everything, you know, publishers are in the business of selling books. They're not in the bu- business of making people feel good. So the business of book writing and book mm-hmm. publishing is, is very intense. And so if it's not going to make money, then they don't want to do it. And I don't blame them. They're in the business of selling books. Right. So, right. Uh, they're trying to figure out the market for that. I, I think it would make a good curriculum for any school system in anywhere. Uh, they, my books already been published in eight different languages that children's book has. So it wouldn't be that hard of a stretch to go ahead and publish a, a, a curriculum for school to do the same thing in several different languages as well. That's excellent, man. Yeah, it's, it is totally the case. I know with, I'm not sure if our listeners know that I'm writing a book now, but my publisher is like, I proposed all these different ideas and they're like, we do books, they're, they're about 250 pages of nonfiction and about 40,000 to 50,000 words in this size category and that's what we do really good and that's what we do <laughs> so <laughs> right that that you know narrowed the focus pretty quick so i mean we can make a podcast on writing books i think but i think one thing it's good for people that read books and are interested in in helping authors out to understand is that that a book that a publisher puts out has their stamp on it for sure mm-hmm and so there's just a whole lot that is written in a book that I, you know, I wouldn't have put in there that they wanted in there. And so I write a book because they're the ones that are paying me. Um, once you get a little bit of power and you show that you can sell books, which is what I've done, then you can argue a little bit. But typically, if an author's not proven, you don't have a lot of room to argue because you haven't proven it yet. And so a publisher is going to have a really strong thumb on the writing. And I think you've discovered that putting together a table of contents. So Mm -hmm. early on the table of contents, what's in that early material, like my publishers always required to talk in a, and a, and a chapter in the book before we ever signed the contract. And that's happened in every book I've written. And so they just want to make sure that I have the gumption to get it done and write the things that they need to write. And what I've found is that most writers are pretty uh, high on themselves. Mm-hmm. And and I tend to work really well with publishers and editors compared to most. Or at least that's the understanding my editors and publishers have told me. But, but um, I like to listen to people that know how to sell books. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I follow their direction yep. pretty well as best I can. Yeah, I've been the same way with even titling and subtitling and and things like that. I'm like, here's some ideas, but I really want to lean on your experience, right? Because yeah, they know, I they know. I haven't put a title works. down for any book that I've written, not a single one. I, I totally left that up to the publisher. Nice. All right, man, that's good. So the name of this book is The Secret Signs of Nature. What are your other books? I mean, we'll talk about. We might talk about this at the end too, but. Uh, the first book was Extreme Wilderness Survival. The second one's Ultimate Wilderness Gear. The third is Essential Wilderness Navigation. The fourth is called Vital Survival. That's only available inside of my online Vital Survival course. Uh, that's another thing a lot of people don't are not aware of. I wrote a whole book just for that course that you can find on my website. And then um, the Secret Signs of Nature, I've already written 99.9% of a tracking book, and I'm probably getting ready to sign a, a, a contract on my next book that I can't say anything about yet. Nice. All right, man. So 
In this podcast, we're going to talk about how to read people. So maybe do you want to give us kind of a flyover and why this is important and why our listeners should really right now tune their ears in and hear everything you've got to say? Yeah, I think a lot of this started out as an extension of me teaching self-defense. And uh, for those that are not familiar with my background, I taught self-defense, hand-to-hand combatives, martial arts, whatever you want to call all that stuff that I did for a long time. Uh, I taught a lot of that for, well, I, I still teach occasionally, but going on 30 years now. And one of the things that I recognized, which is true of most teachers, is that the older I got, the more I realized, you know, it's not a, I, I, you know, at one point in my life, I could pick people up and throw them on their head if I needed to defend myself. I can't do that physically now. I'm 53. And while I have some self-defense prowess, I guess I don't have the ability I used to. And so one of the things that I started digging into a good man, 15 years ago, probably was how to read people and know that they're aggressive. They're bad actors. Because when I was teaching self-defense, a lot of people think, that a quote unquote bad guy is the movie version of a bad guy, all black in an alleyway waiting in the shadows to, to come after you or what have you. And, and a bad person, a person that wants to be an aggressor in particular is not that hardly ever. It's only like that in the movies. And so what I wanted to do was, can I look at people and read them and determine, you know, that's an aggressor, that's somebody that might bring me harm. They're not up to any good or something of that nature. I also want to learn some, if somebody's lying to me mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that's what we're going to cover in this particular podcast. So this is really interesting, Craig, because we've heard a lot in the media over the last couple of years about profiling people. Is this profiling people? Yeah, without a doubt. Profiling is what we're doing and uh, I have no problem doing that. It's where you purposely, look at somebody and because, you know, they fit some narrative that you immediately do something. As I'm fond of saying, when I teach this material, just because I see somebody that's exhibiting certain characteristics or behaviors, doesn't mean I'm going to go thump them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, pull a firearm out and, and say, get away from me. That does mean that I'm going to pay attention to them and not ignore them. What we in the, in this particular culture and society are fast doing is one thing that we do as a, as humans is we normalize situations and make them better than they probably are. And that's a defense mechanism for all of us. And what some in our current society would like to do is force us to make everything normalized and everything's not normal. There's erratic behaviors, there's inappropriate behaviors and I'm not going to be in the business of normalizing those things. Now, if, if, you know, law enforcement officers are only pulling off over a certain race of people for something, that's, that's the profiling that gets a lot of negative attention and might be warranted for sure. But that's not the type of profiling that we're talking about here at all. That's really good, Craig. So before we get into this, you want to just let people know where this information comes from at its core. Yeah. uh, So uh, I've been very fortunate to train a lot of people uh, in the civilian world, as well as the government sector, and whether it's law enforcement, first responders, EMT, paramedics, firefighters on the federal, state and local level. I've worked with the United States military and through all those trainings, one of the things that always came about was uh, 
this is what I do for a living. So I always requested payment for such matters, but there were a lot of times where I would work with somebody and I would trade training for some of the things that I was doing. And and a lot of this programming comes out of a lot of things we'll be discussing today comes out of some of that training with the United States military, which is, you know, battlefield ready, how to read the battlefield space and determine who's leading it. What are they doing? Are they aggressive? You know, there's some more, some Hollywood versions of what you've seen is maybe uh, the movie about Chris Kyle, where he's reading somebody on the battlefield space and, and there was a female and he's saying her arms aren't swinging. That means that indicated to him that she was carrying something. Mm-hmm. And so we can take, um, how to recognize things on a battlefield space and just quickly assimilate those into our daily lives and read things so that a, a lot of this comes out of like active shooter type training. Mm-hmm. How does the first person that the, that mans the desk or oversees the desk and, and invites you into any corporate entity? I, I train a lot of people like that. How do they read people and go, that person's not up to any good because that's the first face they see. And that person that's sitting behind a desk saying, welcome to Lexmark international, for example, they need to be able to see that somebody's not up to any good if it's at all possible doing, and, and that we'll make sure that we utilize that training that I've done to, to do that here. So this is really practical, practical in just even daily and business activities also. Yeah. And, and I would caution the listeners to, there's some of the things like, for example, I'm going to share some things where you can tell somebody's lying to you and you're going to start seeing a lot of these things that are behaviors there. These are not absolutes. I want to be real clear on that. However, if you've got a, a checklist of things that say this indicates somebody's lying, this indicates somebody's lying and somebody checks off four or five of them, then that's somebody you have to pay attention to all of us are going to say things at times where we give off some of this information and there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't mean we're a bad person. It doesn't mean that your spouse is lying to you. For example, when you see some of these behaviors. So I I want to caution the listeners on that. However, again, when some of these things start stacking up, you can't ignore it. We have a tendency again to want to normalize such things. And we just got to, we just got to avoid that. Good. So as people get into this, is there some sort of self-analysis as far as our own strengths and weaknesses that we need to take a look at? You know, actually, uh, you're interviewing me here a cup for a couple hours, and I'm interviewing one of my members of my instructor cadre for Nature Blount School after you and I get done. And he's a mental health expert. And one of the questions I have for him, because I don't have an answer for your question, basically, but are personality tests like Myers big stuff? test? Are they good ones? And quite frankly, I don't have an answer for that. Now, one of the things you'll recognize on the things that we're talking about is that you will start to recognize that there are some of the things that you do that are indicators that you're uncomfortable saying what you're saying. There's not a problem with that. Uh, What it does mean is that you should, you know, dive into your own psyche and go, why, why do I not feel comfortable talking about this subject? Why am I doing that? And it might be that there's some underlying stress. There might be some underlying emotional behavior that's attached to it, but it's, it's definitely something I think once you study this and particularly if you, and and I think, are you going to attach some of the links in the description for people too, for the books? So the, 
I have a bunch of books. Yeah, people can go over to the website and download the show notes over there. Yep. Yeah, it's um cuz you know, I'm I'm scratching the surface you all on this subject matter today and those books are really in-depth looks at the subject matter and you can study as much as you want. That's for sure. Okay. Gotcha. So where do you want to start here? You know, I, I think there's there's three big things that we need to get into. I, I would say that we get into the biometrics that people put off, the kinesics okay. and, you know, that that sort of thing. If we can get started there. I know I've, I've tried to supply you with a few things that you, I hope it helps you too, David. I mean, mm-hmm. this is good stuff for all this of us to study and, and use the notes that I sent you so that we can discuss. And I'm really interested for you coming up with your own questions and, and things that you're interested in for sure. So let's just talk about what biometrics are. Okay. Biometrics in, in its simplest form. And, th- and these are some big words that some of these organizations that I've worked with have utilized. And it's not that you have to memorize these words, but you just got to understand that there's certain physiological reactions that all humans are going to display. And some of these things that w- we do, we can, we cannot fake or we cannot hide. These are very, particularly as it relates to biometrics, these are very useful cues that when somebody starts direct questioning you on things, um, you can start to read and see these things. Now, some of the stuff that we'll get into as kinesics that'll come up later, we can fake or mask those things, what's called masking certain personality behaviors. But biometrics are pretty difficult for sure to, to be able to, to mask. So, so bio is, I mean, it's basically, you know, us, it's biological and then metrics are just signs, right? Or, or signals. Right. Right. So, I mean, one of the easiest ones that people already know, uh, and I'm not saying anything that that your listeners don't know is when people blush. I mean, when people are getting to the point where they're uncomfortable, maybe it's embarrassment or or shame or, or something of that nature, then they'll oftentimes blush, which is just a rush of blood uh, to the capillaries that are found in the cheeks. And some people will display this around their, like, and I'm one of these people, a lot of times my ears will get hot. Uh, a lot of blood will rush my ears. It's, it's basically blood that's rushing to the face, and this is an indicator that somebody has felt embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, it's interesting as I look down through this bullet list too that these are things that we don't really think about, but you just know, right? You see a video, somebody, yeah, 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 absolutely. These are really and, and and blushing. The reason I always start off with blushing because everybody knows what I just shared. I mean, you know that we know that, but some of these others are not as easy to recognize. And you you may have seen them, you may have recognized them, but you didn't know exactly what they were telling you. A perfect example is what's called flushing. Flushing is something where a much larger portion of the body gets blood flow to it. For some reason, we don't know why. A lot of females, this will happen to their upper chest, neck area. They'll get really red. And this is really more than anything a a release of hormones. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this to happen. um, But some of those reasons are things like alcohol use. A lot of people will display this if they are um, using excessive amounts of alcohol. And well, some people do it just using a little bit of alcohol, uh, drug use. Uh, and, and, and a, a big one is sexual arousal. If somebody gets sexually aroused, sometimes they'll get flush in their chest, but also it can oftentimes mean that somebody's angry at you. And so again, 
just to caution the listeners, just because somebody gets flushed on the chest doesn't mean that it's a problem. But, you know, I've talked, I've shared this information with a lot of churches. If you've got a new member of your church that is demanding to be part of the kids program, and every time they come around the kids program, they get flushed in their chest, then there's a good indicator that that might be sexual arousal. Mm -hmm. It might be that they just want really bad to do it for example, but it's not, it's, it's something that I would pay attention to in that situation, not necessarily beat somebody down, not necessarily kick them out of the programming, but at least recognize, Hey, this has been an indicator of something that we need to be aware of in case it has other indicators that are a problem. Mm -hmm. That's good. So then we've got flared nostrils. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, flared nostrils. So uh, as you mentioned, which is really good that you added that in the bio, the bio of this is that when we start to get angry, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to start bringing in more air into our body. And so one of the, the biometrics is that your nostrils will flare so that you can pull more oxygen in because you're preparing for a fight. The way we can still see this now is that when people get angry, whether they are actually getting ready for a fight or not, is they will grit their teeth and they will flare their nostrils. They're just getting angry. And as you can probably imagine somebody's face doing this as I'm describing it, and it's almost always a sign that somebody is anger, angry. If they're gritting their teeth in, to the point where you can see their teeth and their nostrils are flared, then that's somebody that's getting angry. Now, how do I handle that? Well, if I'm noticing that, then I better start doing something to try to bring them back down. Or if I start pushing buttons, then they're going to get aggressive and that's not going to be good for anybody. And therefore, it's just one of them things to recognize. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Next to go along. Have a, yeah, go yeah, ahead. To go along with it, because this one goes along with it really well. And, and I discuss this quite a bit with uh, I, I've had the opportunity to train rural electric cooperative linemen here in the state of Kentucky. I've trained hundreds of them. And if you think about it here in Kentucky, uh, for those that are not familiar with Kentucky, we don't have a lot of really severe weather here of any type, really. But we do on occasion, every other year, every third year or something, have a pretty significant ice storm that tears electric lines down. And I started teaching a lot of linemen this material back then when we had a really significant ice storm because what was happening is that people were coming out to talk to them and they didn't realize until they got up on them that they were angry. Mm. And so what I was teaching these linemen is how to read people when they're coming up to their truck and they might be in a bucket up on the line, hanging electric, which is dangerous, Mm -hmm. how to read those people and go, okay, this person's angry. I need to start taking preventative measures to defend myself. Like one, one bucket truck, full of dudes. Uh, they had a couple guys up in a bucket working and a guy comes across the yard and he's really angry and he has a gun that's hidden. And by the time he got there, they were pretty much stuck in a bucket with a guy with a gun. That's not a good position to be in, but something else that they recognize. And we talked about it at length with those guys. And you all may recognize this too, is that when we get angry, we have a huge adrenaline dump. And so when that adrenaline starts to subside, one of the things that you often see is that people start to get pale. That's, you know, we just refer to it as being paleness, having Mm -hmm. paleness. This often happens after, you know, a high amounts of stress or emotional shock or some, some stimulus. And basically it's where the adrenaline is leaving the body 
And so what this tells you, if you're seeing it, is that somebody's been incredibly angry. Now they're not, but they have been, and it won't take much to ignite it again. So it's one of those things where I would handle, if I'm recognizing this in someone, I'm going to be handling them with, you know, kid gloves or something of that nature. I don't know how you want to say it, but in that way, I don't ignite that fire again that got them upset and angry the first time. Now, paleness is also an indicator of a traumatic situation, right? I mean, that could, not that it would be in this situation, but I immediately thought of uh, just people going into shock, but that would not be Yeah, the absolutely. Case. Okay. It's the same thing. It doesn't okay. necessarily mean that somebody's angry. It could be any number of different, very, you know, let's, let's just call it emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. It could be a death in the family. You know, you have an adrenaline dump boom to try to take care of yourself. And then as that subsides, then you're going to be incredibly pale. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. And that's, you know, the heart beats up, but it's come down. Your blood pressure right. is, is fluctuating and it's just causing a physiological reaction that, you know, I know this has happened to me in various situations and I get cold. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, everybody's going to have different responses, but these things that we're talking about right now, these biometrics are statistically likely in most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next grouping of things we'll talk about in a few minutes, kinesics is a little bit different. I think we've got a, a couple of more things on on the biometric mm-hmm. side. That's uh, pupil dilation. Yeah, pupil dilation. Everybody's seen somebody with their pupils dilated. That's because there's some sort of low light condition or something want, of that nature. You want to just but, explain what pupil dilation is? Yeah, when somebody's pupils get exceptionally large. And most of the time this will happen when there's a low light situation. and and the eyes are trying to take in as much light as they possibly can. Therefore, uh, if you're seeing this in regular light, then one of the big indicators is somebody has been attracted to you. Uh, it's, it's one of them things that I'm glad I didn't know in college. <laughs> you would know who's not attracted to you as well. So attracted to you or, or other, otherwise. And so again, because it, a lot of the folks that we've talked to, particularly in our churches that I've been working with is trying to find abusers, sexual abusers that want to come to a church and utilize it for that purpose. Then this is one of those indicators that again, doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's bad, but Mm -hmm. if I'm seeing that, if I'm seeing flushing, if I'm seeing somebody that's wanting to pull a kid off and be on their own and nobody else around, then that's something I would be very concerned about. For example, now, some of these other things you've already mentioned, they are um, they're possible in a lot of situations, but isn't pupil dilation kind of rare? Like it's a it's a very, very physiological reaction to light. And I know it also can be an indication of uh, excessive alcohol in the bloodstream, too, right? I, I'm really not sure about that. I do okay. know about arousal, but I'm not for certain about how the law enforcement officers will look at people. There's a lot of different things, particularly on when eyes look left or right. And I can't recall what all that is. Mm-hmm. I just know about pupil dilation in particular can be some sort of arousal, whether it's through, you know, uh, medicinal means like drugs or alcohol or sexual arousal or something of that nature. That that's the most interesting one to me so far, Craig, because I was not aware of that in relation to sexual arousal. 
Yeah, it's it's something to be aware of. Uh, I'm, I'm and again, I'm glad because I know you do a lot with different church organizations. It it would be a good thing to keep your eye on. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one here is sweating. Yeah, everybody sweats. Um, so excessive sweating, though, uh, where somebody has clothes that has sweat stains on it or they're clammy skinned uh, on a regular basis is somebody that is typically uh, either finishing up exercise, obviously, or they're having a nauseous event or they're having nervousness. Like right now, I'm having some issues with a kidney stone. And yesterday I was in front of a group training them and about midway through the group, I've got I just started while I was discussing this topic that we're discussing right now, I started sweating profusely Hmm. and I had to tell the people that I was training, Hey, uh, I'm not lying to you right now. Uh, I'm actually got kidney stone issues. And so it was definitely a thing that was a physiological response to the kidney stone moving (laughs) in me and I was hurting. But at the same time, that nervousness is a big indicator uh, well, sweating is a big indicator of somebody that feels nervous. That's for sure. And I've, I've been aware of like sweating palms, even if the whole body isn't sweating. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, that's a, that's a real good one. Okay. And how about thermal signature? All right. So thermal signature, you'll actually be able to feel this off people and that are, in close proximity to you. This, this can literally be felt because their heat, their body heat will rise so much that they have to put that heat off. And this is something that's typically happened either from physical exertion. Like you can feel this at the gym, right? That's why the gym's oftentimes hot because people are hot, but it can also be something that comes out of strong emotion again, whether that's arousal of some sort or just anger. Uh, if somebody's getting into position where they've putting off a lot of heat, this thermal signature that we'll be able to read and feel and see, then then that is something that, again, warrants your attention. Right. Oftentimes, people will go, did it just get really hot in here? <laughs> and you're, right. Like, right. <laughs> you're like, uh, I'm really glad that the windows are closed, actually. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it can be a, yeah, I won't get into what else it can be. Uh, (laughs) Anything else on biometrics? I think these are really good. No, I think that's good. I I think that's a good thing to cover. Biometrics, again, typically are things that we cannot stop. We cannot Mm -hmm. control. Mm -hmm. Um, The next discussion point, which is kinesics, is a little bit different. Okay. So let's talk about what is kinesics. So kinesics is what most people would refer to as tails. Everybody has tails when they're uncomfortable. They do different behaviors. Some people shrug their shoulder uh, and a lot of other things. Um, Let me just stop you here. Does everybody have tails? Everybody has tails unless they train to avoid them. Okay. For example, you've got a lot of tails. Uh, I've got a lot of tales. I, I, I've, I've read some of your tales sitting here talking to you today on things that you haven't felt comfortable talking about. You have tales that you do you, and it's nothing there's, it doesn't mean that you're lying. It's just, it's a subject matter, for example, that you're not comfortable with. And it, and that's, and that's why you're interviewing me and I'm not interviewing you on this particular subject. You don't feel comfortable with it. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with what you're saying or doing. It's just, it's a tale. Good. Good. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into some tells. 
<laughs> yeah, you, uh, I guess. Why don't you start with me? <laughs> well, <laughs> since, if, since everybody's been here, uh, so <laughs> there, there's one thing that you and it, and I mentioned it earlier. Um, you, when you get nervous, you suck in a lot of air through your nose, and so when you're uncomfortable discussing something, then you'll do that almost every time, and you'll do that almost every time right before you're getting ready to, to say something that you're not comfortable with. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're lying about it. And I'm not saying that at all. It's just, it's just something that you haven't, you in particular and, and people like you who like things a certain way and in, or in an order and very organized and what have you, if something is bouncing around your head and it doesn't have that formulation attached to it yet, then you don't feel comfortable talking about it. Uh, my dad's the exact same way. He he has the same exact traits that you do. It's it's really interesting to be able to see. But right before you speak on something something that you haven't organized in your head yet, then you'll suck in a lot of air through your nose. <laughs> Does that make you feel self conscious now? <laughs> interesting. I am not going to breathe for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> At least turn your nose away from the mic. <laughs> Yeah, these things, and, and and thanks for bringing it up this way, David. I mean, seriously, because these things, when you when you people hear what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. you're going to recognize that you do these some of these things. I do some of them. We all do. And so, the kinesics in particular, for for example, law enforcement officers, people that work in intelligence, uh, whether it's for the CIA or military or law enforcement or whatever, these people, you know, particularly people that are um, interrogating others. They are experts at reading people's tales and utilizing them. They're also experts at how to mask and hide them in their own selves. So this will give you an opportunity. <laughs> don't just don't use it for ill gotten gain. Um, this is give you an opportunity to learn how to hide some of your own tales so that, um, at least you can form a more coherent and structured opinion and, and not, you know, give off these signals that are inappropriate. Interesting. Okay. Let's go through a few more. Yeah. Uh, so the big one, which is actually a good one. And I love seeing, this is one of the tales that I love seeing when people do it is when people are telling the truth. Um, well, a little background, we have three sections of the brain. And the one that's up front in the section of our brain is the one that's most typically attached to emotion and a lot of, uh, a lot of cognitive, cognitive development. Okay. The brain stem, for example, it's in the rear of the brain. It's just the stuff that's there. That's been there since we've been a species, right? So that's what a lot of people call the lizard brain. But when somebody touches the front of their head, then that typically, as they're recalling information and trying to share information with you, oftentimes that means they are telling the truth because they're wanting to formulate a positive, strong discussion point. And so they'll put their hand involuntarily to their forehead to help recall that information. Another one is that people's eyes will look left or right when they're recalling facts, for example. Another one is that, and particularly if somebody's trying to think of a smell, this sounds silly, but if somebody's trying to think of something that they, they smelled, then they'll look left or right with their eyes as they're thinking about it. Like if you're talking to your spouse about dinner and go, okay, did you like it when we ate at Johnny Carino's the other day? They might look left and right trying to figure out what that smelled like to determine if that's something they want to eat. 
people that look up and uh, particularly straight up or in uh, one of the corners of their eyes, then these are people that are trying to recall very specific facts. It's the same. It goes along the same lines as somebody is touching their forehead. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's actually a really good one when you see somebody doing this because they're wanting to tell you the truth. Excellent. Now, how about the other side of that attempting to deceive? Yeah, yeah this is where, <laughs> this is where we start having fun with it really. And, and again, I just caution everybody, you're going to start seeing people that do these things. And it's, these are not absolutes. These are definitely some things that could be check boxes, if you will, and you can start checking them off. But just because you see one of these behaviors doesn't mean that somebody's tr- attempting to deceive you or lie to you. But the big one is just the opposite of that. When somebody is scratching the back of their head or the back of the neck, then they're basically doing that because there's been an increase in body heat. And one of the things that happens when we, when our body starts to increase in temperature, like for, ex- for, for uh, exercise, for example, then one of the first spots that opens up the pores on the body is on the head and the neck. And because of that, we'll start to itch or give that part of our body a scratch, particularly on the back of the head and the neck. And so people, you'll see people touch the back of their head or scratch the back of their head or even rub their neck or something of that nature. That's typically means that their body heat is rising. People typically do that when they're talking about something that's untrue. They'll touch the back of their neck. Another one that's a big tail is that people will, it's not the looking away because a lot of people may just feel uncomfortable looking others in the eye. And there's a lot to that, a whole lot in how the eyes work. You could, there's books out there and some of the recommendations that I, that I've given David to share with everybody will be in the, in the show notes. But one thing that is a big tale is closing of the eyes. If somebody wants to forget or ignore something that they're talking about, or even not talk about something that's directly in front of them, then they'll close their eyes. You know, um, for example, this is something you can use with children that have been sexually abused. If, if, if an apparatus or a room has been utilized to do something of that nature, then that child will want to close their eyes when they walk into that room or they'll close their eyes if they see a belt that was used against them or something of that nature because they just don't want to see it. So it's not that they're attempting to lie or deceive you. It's just they don't want to be part of what's happening right in front of them. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with them. And another one that takes us even a step further is people that cover their eyes or their mouth while they're talking. Uh, it doesn't again mean that somebody's lying. This is another thing that my dad does all the time. He constantly covers his eyes when he's talking to me. He doesn't feel comfortable talking to me. I'm not trying to get in mind of my dad's relationship, but he doesn't feel real comfortable talking to me. And so he'll oftentimes put his hand across his eyes when he's talking to me. And sometimes other people will put their hands over their mouth because they just don't feel comfortable talking about what it is that they're discussing. Hmm. Good stuff, man. Is that it for attempting to deceive as far as? Yeah, I think that'll be a good, that'll, that'll give everybody about three things that they can start to watch for and see if their spouses are lying to them. (laughs) (laughs) Nervous. That that probably brings up a good point is that again, if somebody's demonstrating one of these, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but if somebody's doing all three of those things, Mm -hmm. then that's worthy of your attention. And I'll leave it at that. That doesn't mean that again, even all three of those things doesn't mean somebody's lying to you. But right. it's definitely worthy of your attention. Like your dad, it doesn't mean he's a lot. He's lying to you. He just Correct. may. He's just may not be comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I have a nephew that when he's uncomfortable, his face will go stone cold and he won't look at anybody. Yeah, I get that a lot from me, but that, and that's where I've practiced not doing these things. You've talked about it on the podcast mm-hmm. um, and, and in discussion of videos that you and I have done together. I get very stoic, and I've trained myself to do that, to not be emotionally attached to certain discussions because I want to look at the facts. And the best way that I can pull those facts out is to just relax. Mm-hmm. And the way I relax is, is off-putting to a lot of people. Yeah, okay, sure. how about nervousness? Yeah, nervousness. This is another one a lot of people will recognize pretty quickly is when people are wringing or rubbing their their palms of their hands, for example, very slowly. There's a difference between rubbing your hands quickly and wringing or rubbing your hands slowly. Typically, people that are doing that slowly have ill intent or some sort of nervous energy, for example. Rubbing your palms together quickly is a sign of anticipation. And you can see this in like, you, you tell you, you tell your kids, your grandkids, for example, hey, we're going to go get some ice cream. And they'll put their hands together and rub them real quick or something. You know, that's something they're excited about. And so this is where you can see when people are doing that very slowly, then that's, again, something that I'd be aware of and, and pay attention to. Good. How about anything with the legs? Like people just, they shake their legs or anything. I, I feel like I've seen that. Um, not as much as what we would get into maybe. Yeah. Let's go ahead and discuss that a little bit. Um, shaking of the legs is a totally different animal, but something that is important to, to start to grasp is, you know, shows of power. And okay. for, for example, when I, when I say this and people are going to instantly recognize this too, if somebody wants to show power, then they'll put their hands on their hips. And now that could have been your grandmother that said you shouldn't have been playing with that chicken or, you know, whatever. Somebody shouldn't be doing this. And they put their, hey, stop doing that or whatever. Uh, it could be the boss of a C, uh, of any, you know, Fortune 500 company. They get in front of the board of directors. They put their hands on their hips. Basically, this makes them look bigger, makes them look stronger. And so that is just a show of power. A big one to pay attention to, though, and this is when you when I say this and I and people start looking for this, it'll drive you crazy when you start seeing it. Is that some people will put their hands on their hips and their index finger or all of their fingers will basically point towards their genitalia. It's not like, you know, not like overtly pointing at their genitalia. It's just the direction that the finger, if you, if you extended a line out from the fingers, it goes right to the genitalia. And that is typically somebody that is trying to show huge power. Like, look at me, I'm big and bad. I'm, I'm man, a man with a plan sort of thing. And there have been some, actually, it's very interesting that, you can imagine as people are listening, there are individuals that make a living teaching the things that I'm talking about in our hour together or what have you here. And there's a nearly every CEO of every large company, for example, is going to have somebody that trains them in these methods. And a lot of female CEOs started exhibiting this behavior, although this is definitely focused more on men, but a lot of women that were taking over or large organizations like, and I can't remember her name. You might remember David, um, the lady that took over Hewlett Packard for so long and, and did well with it for quite a while. What was her name? She ran for president. Uh, Carly. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, who, what, whoever, whatever her name was there. Were, I saw a show where they were discussing 
how she should demonstrate power. And one of the things that she did is that she put her hands on her hips and had her fingers pointed towards her genitalia. And so that was something that she was trained to do and not to get political at all, but, but Hillary Clinton used to do this quite a bit. Uh, She would put her hands on her hips and have her fingers pointed that direction as well. And then her handler said, you've got to soften your presence instead of harden it Mm. and taught her to not do that anymore. And it worked. It, It gave her more of a softer impression to voters and those that were, you know, watching her discussing and stuff of that nature. And she took on more of a, a a less powerful mode and used her voice for power and then didn't put off, you know, vast amounts of look at me. I'm very powerful type person. Interesting. It was Carly Fiorina. She was a 2016 presidential candidate. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And another thing that goes along with this is that people that feel threatened will almost always cover their genitals or their abdomen in particular as well. So you can, people can visualize somebody putting their hands together and their hands are hanging down, covering up the area where their genitalia is. This is somebody that use is somebody that feels vulnerable. You can see this in a lot of children that have been sexually abused. And so, and I didn't intend that to be the theme here today, but I'd love stopping people from, you know, Mm -hmm. child sexual abuse. So I like talking about it to, to at least get that information out there, but you'll see a lot of children demonstrating this behavior. I used to teach martial arts and we, we had a program where the court systems were bringing foster kids to my dojo for training and, and I didn't charge them anything to do that. And it was one of the things that we talked about a lot when these kids would come in, they felt very uncomfortable because we were doing physical martial arts where people come in contact and a lot of kids would just stand on the side and put their hands in that position. And that's Mm -hmm. usually a child that's been sexually abused and stuff of that nature. Now you had said what covering up other parts of your body, would that be like folded arms maybe? Yeah. I think everybody knows folded arms means you're typically not listening. Uh, I personally, uh, I'm one of those people that that doesn't mean that I actually find that position comfortable. And so I do that when I am listening intently. Matter of fact, I'll put my arm, I'll cross my arms and put my hand on my chin. Uh, I've just, just because I pay attention to this stuff, I've recognized what I, I myself are doing. Um, that that's another point to indicate that these are general understandings and not mm-hmm. absolutes. But yeah, for the most part, when somebody's listening to you, all of a sudden they just fold their arms in front of you. Typically that means they're not listening, but we'll get into some other things here in a minute. That'll help you understand that as well. All right. So we got a couple more here on, on this particular topic. We've got attention, smiles, pregnant pauses, and, unnecessary details. Yeah. Um, So to go along with the legs and the, and your body posture, if you will, but Mm -hmm. more often than not, when people are paying attention and listening to you, then they're, I call it the belly button and toes effect. Their belly button and toes will be facing you. If they're really wanting to listen to you, somebody that's not listening to you, they will turn their, their toes will be pointed to the area that they're they're most interested in. You'll see this a lot in a building where people will have their feet towards the door that they want to leave. Heck, it might be eight hours and they know they're not going to be able to leave for eight hours, but they'll sit in a position where their, their, their head is turned and they're listening to you, but their toes are pointed to the door because that's really where they want to go. That's where their attention is somewhere outside there. And so, and this is what I like to say about this stuff. If you know this stuff and recognize this, then this is something that you can do to help people 
feel more comfortable talking to you. And so if I want to get information from somebody, um, like for example, I do, I, I teach a lot of people and I teach a lot of people throughout the country in, in different settings. And so one of the things I do when somebody's asking me a question, I don't look over my shoulder. I will literally turn my body belly button and toes towards them because even if they don't know the stuff that we're talking about, they subconsciously know when I'm facing them, I am paying more attention to them. And therefore that helps with communication between me and the person that I'm, you know, trying to get information from and, and basically make them feel comfortable asking me questions. That's really interesting. You can pick from anything else on, on the, uh, on this particular list you want to go, go through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're going pretty long here. I don't want to go too long, but, uh, two or three other things, smiles, I'll go through a few of these really quickly, but happy, genuine smiles are those that are often uneven, believe it or not. And, and they cause a wrinkling of the face and fake smiles are typically very symmetrical. So you can tell when somebody's fake smile. I was looking at a picture of my son. <laughs> um, one of one of those pictures where you know you take your kids when they're little to get pictures, and he is so fake smiling. He's got such a you know my son has a very you know my kids I know them well. They have a very particular smile and laugh, and I know when they're actually f- finding something funny. And I'm looking at this picture of him from probably. 18, 19 years ago and say, and I can tell just looking at it, he's having a terrible time. He's not enjoying (laughs) taking those photos at all, but, uh, that's a big one. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of liars and those that feel really intimidated will repeat a question when they hear it because they feel uncomfortable with the subject matter. And that is a, a really good, what we call pregnant pause where people are seeking some pause to gather their thoughts before they answer. And then the last one that goes along with this really well is what we call unnecessary details. If somebody's lying to you, they'll throw in a bunch of details that are really unimportant. And I know for a fact that a lot of law enforcement will get confessions from people because they start offering details that are not necessary at all. And, and it just tells the law enforcement officer, man, this person is just, they're uncomfortable talking about this subject. Very interesting. So we've got this, we've got the next category, which is proxemics. Yeah. Proxemics is basically studying the relationships, you know, the spatial relationships, if you will, between people and how we are distanced from one another. And we're not talking about COVID social distancing, although we are, there's definitely some social distance there, but, um, but basically looking at, and this is how you can look in a restaurant and see when people are arguing or not, <laughs> you can tell when somebody's angry with one another, uh, or when couples are angry or upset with one another and how they spatially are, are around one another when they're together. A big one is push and pulls. People have, uh, w- when somebody's talking to you and you don't want to hear them, you'll basically turn the side of your body to them or your back t- towards them and you'll create distance. That means you're not comfortable with the conversation. When you do get comfortable, you'll get closer to the person and you'll face belly button and toes towards them. You know, as far as average distances, the w- this is, again, a very general understanding, but people that are intimate with one another, you can read that. They'll oftentimes be anywhere up to 18 inches and below 
from one another. Mm-hmm. Personal people like me and maybe one of my kids, I'm not, uh, I'm very close to my kids, but I'm not sexually intimate with them. Right. And so two to four feet, you know, I'll, I'll hug my daughter and, and maybe have my arm around her on a regular basis, but it won't be too long before we split and go somewhere else. Right. I mean, two to four feet social distance that we heard so much during COVID that five to 12 feet, that's your typical person that you're around in a room. You might work together. You might be at the same Walmart or grocery store or whatever. Five to 12 feet is acceptable. And then most people, most people feel most comfortable out past 12 feet when they're around other people that they don't know. And there's some actual good reasons for that, right? Maybe dig into that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, the reasons that we want to, and I guess this is what you're getting at, David, I'm not sure, but the reasons you want to read that is you can read groups to see who knows one another Mm -hmm. and you can see who's comfortable with one another, who's, who's physical with one another. Um, you, and and I'm just going to be frank, you can read when people are really close to one another. Maybe those two are having an affair because most people don't get that close together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might be something you need to be aware of and, and recognize. And I was thinking also of just from a situational awareness. And if we're talking about 12 feet in a public area with, you know, a comfortable, just a natural, comfortable distance for a human being between another human being, you don't know them. So is, is there just some sub psychological distance that we want to keep from strangers? Uh, well, I don't know about psychological, but from a self-defense perspective, I don't want people that close to me. Yeah. You know, okay. I, it's very rare that I'm going to get in a line at a grocery store and I'm going to have my back to the people behind me. I'm just not because mm-hmm. in that setting, they're going to be closer than I like for them to be. And I'm not going to have my back to them. I'm just not from a self-defense, I'm going to turn to the side so I can at least get them in in my periphery. That's for sure. That's good. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. How about, how about the people that I'm sure we've all had this happen. How about the guy that is maybe very passionate about something and he keeps getting closer and closer. The close talker (laughs) from Seinfeld. Is that what you're talking about? The close talk. Yeah. No, yeah, we I, had a actually never. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. The group that I was teaching yesterday, this <laughs> the there was a a very very friendly couple that were there, and as I was talking, she stood up in the middle of the group. She said, "That's you right there. You get too close all the time to people, and they're not comfortable with it. You, I've been telling you this for years, and this expert here is telling you to not do that. It was kind of funny, but um." It's one of those things that some people just feel most comfortable like that. Uh, I used to go to a church with a gentleman that used to, who loved to put his hand on your back and then grab your other arm with his hand and rub your arm. It was just, he, he wanted to be close and it was very off putting for me. I didn't care Hmm. for it, but it was just him. I mean, it was a show that the way that he showed uh, what, what I would probably call brotherly love. It was just his style. And you can, and I mean, if, and again, I want to get too deep into politics. You can, you can see the power play that Trump used to make in the way that he shook hands with people. You, you, somebody should write a book on how, uh, former president Trump shook hands. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty interesting to see the people that he shook hands with and how he did it. And it's very different ac- ac- across 
those that had power and those that didn't have power. And the ones that he ex- wanted to exert power on, he had a very different handshake with. It was very interesting. All right, Craig Cottle, that's book number seven, The Power Shake. <laughs> yeah, no joke, man. <laughs> oh, man, that's not me. That's somebody else that's better than me on this subject. But it, it's definitely something to watch. Um, and it's one of those things that people – your general person has recognized it's just maybe I'm pointing it out something that's just, you know, a little bit more common sense now. Mm-hmm. So also in this category, we've got leadership and reciprocation. Yeah. Leadership is, is a big one. And this is definitely one of those things that came out of battlefield maintenance or, or battlefield observation. So you you've got somebody on a spotting scope, looking at a group of people trying to figure out who's the leader when they don't wear insignia, like, United States military does, for example. And so how do you read that battlefield space and know, okay, that's the guy that everybody's listening to. Uh, it also goes along with corporate America, how people handle a room and how other people in the room handle that person. For example, uh, a big one is what we call entourage one to two people that are following somebody in what I, you know, what I refer beta positions, looking for approval, like little lap dogs walking behind somebody. Uh, another good one that I love is mimicry. This is a good one to read at restaurants oh, when yes. you're looking at people. Mm-hmm. When two people are talking and they're in agreement, they'll both ha- take on the same characteristics, body positioning that the other one does. For example, two people that are in love is is a real obvious one. They both lean in, they hold hands. If one of them gets upset, one of the first things they'll do is they'll lean back. They will not mimic the person that they care for. And so that means that when they're leaning in if in in similar body positioning, they agree with one another. And when one of them backs out, they're in disagreement. Same thing has happened. You can watch this. It's really crazy to watch when people come into a group together. I watched this the other night. I'm a 4-H black powder shooting coach. And I watched this happen in our coaches meeting the other night. And sometimes I'm, I'm just going to be open and admit this. I do this kind of stuff and test it and see what happens <laughs> um, just to watch people's reaction. Um, but the person that was leading the discussion, we were all sitting in a circle in chairs. And when that person, that person leaned back and put their leg up on their knee, crossed their legs a little bit. And then immediately the people that were betas in the room did the same exact thing. Hmm. And that means that they are mimicking. They want to be like the leader. Now, somebody like me, I'm like, screw that. I'm not doing that. (laughs) I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm an alpha. I'm not a beta. But there's times where, and I've been trying to approach this subject pretty heavily lately, there's a good time to be a leader and there's a good time to be a really good follower at times. So there's times where I will do that, recognizing that it is demonstrating, even subconsciously to the group, that I'm a follower at this point. Uh, you know, I did it this past weekend. I had a couple of our guys that were teaching classes and I did some, some beta positioning and mimicry with them in front of the group because the group needed to know that I was in agreement with what they were saying. And so that gave them a leg up in the group because I'm typically the guy that's leading everybody. And that was, that's a beneficial way of utilizing it as well, for sure. That's really, that's very, very interesting. It's a chess match, David. Yeah. (laughs) It's a chess match. I've actually seen this in some church environments where there was a very strong leader and literally 
saw people take on the mannerisms, the pace, oh, yeah. um, even the hairstyle or lack of hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is one yeah. of the things that I talked about, me and you, and I and I won't mention any names so we can keep this professional. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but um, there's a couple of schools that run survival schools that I, I visited a school one time, and everybody that was there wore the same bandana that the guy that was leading things. They had the same knife that he had, the same pack, the same boots, the same pants, the same T-shirt, and those are all beta males. I don't want beta males around me. I want alphas around me, and, and, and this is kind of getting into my leadership uh, methodology, but, but, uh, you know, betas are going to fall away. I want people that are strong. If, if you're going to run a strong organization, you got to have a lot of strong people around you. I don't want people imitating me. I want them to be themselves. Um, so with that said, there's times where being a mimicker of things helps the group understand, Hey, we're all in this together. And so you can utilize this for good or you can utilize it for bad. Um, and so I, I think that's worthy of, uh, it's, it's, it's how cult members handle things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why I've said again, and I, and again, I'll, I'll keep what I'm saying professional as well. The person I was describing earlier has changed their look about three times. And every time they change their look, everybody around them changes their look. And that is a cult. And I'm not a fan of cults. That's how cults do things. And so from my perspective, uh, it's something to be very aware of because cults get away with so much stuff that they shouldn't get away with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's worthy of, of our obvious observation. That's, that's really good, Craig. I'm glad you kind of went on that. That little bunny trail. I think that's helpful. Let's let's do this. Let's let's finish up with heuristics on this one. Heuristics is the last point that I want to discuss with everybody, including David here. He's David knows a lot of this stuff because we've talked about a lot of this before, and I'm glad he's asking me in a way that we can all learn together. But but heuristics is another big word that basically means that there's some stimulus out there that triggers what I often refer to as mental file folders. Now, this is another big word, mnemonic filing, M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C, mnemonic filing. Your brain is basically a huge filing cabinet, and that filing cabinet has files, and inside of those files, there are subfolders sometimes. For example, it, the easy description is if, like, I'm, I'm a tree nerd, I'm a nature nerd, so my filing cabinet has a lot of file folders in it with trees in it. In each one of those tree folders, there might be a beech, there might be a aspen, there might be a oak. And then each in the oak folder, there might be chestnut oak, scarlet oak, white oak, red oak, and on and on and on, whatever. So oftentimes there's a stimulus out there that provokes a thought to help us get into that file folder efficiently. So sometimes that's visual, sometimes it's auditory, sometimes it's olfactory even. And therefore, I discuss this a lot in tracking, but it's very useful to have a file folder of what bad guys look like in your area. And so when you see that, it's not that, hey, you just pull out a gun and you start shooting somebody because they look like a bad guy. That's stupid. You don't do that. But what you do do is what you do do. What you do is that you start paying attention to see if there's more information that be, needs to be taken from that person, from that situation that you're in so that you can start moving your family away from a dangerous situation. Right. You're, uh, get, you're basically doing um, 
you're pulling up that file and you're getting a jump on the situation. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer and I were talking about this last night. It, it's not, she didn't know what I was discussing in the, basically the stuff I discussed, discussed in class yesterday is the stuff I'm discussing with you today. So it's really heavy on me and I've been studying up on it to make sure I had said the right things for everybody. But she was talking, she, she listens to a podcast on, um, bad people and in psychological profiles on people that have been serial killers and stuff of that nature. So she doesn't want to, you know, that kind of stuff. She wants to see those kind of people in everyday life. Cause for some reason, those things surprise everybody. I can't believe that he was such a nice person and never saw this. Jennifer doesn't want to be one of those people. She wants to see this coming. Right. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we were talking about last night is that there was a shooter that in Colorado, it was at the Batman movie. If you'll remember from a few years back, can't remember his name. I don't want to say his name anyway, but he walked into the theater, um, was wearing a clothing that was different. He literally stood up on the stage for about a minute, right in front of the movie screen. And nobody did anything. Nobody moved. Nobody left. He then took a, some sort of, um, pepper spray, taped the top of it down, threw it into the crowd and then still stood there again. And people just stared at him and did nothing. Nobody rushed him. Nobody got out of the room. And then he started shooting people. There was a, uh, a lot of time and she couldn't remember exactly how much time there was so much time before he started. It didn't, it wasn't like he just walked in the room, started shooting people. He didn't do that. I mean, I'm talking, there was minutes of time. And nobody did nothing. And the reason for that is that we are inclined to have normalcy bias. And normalcy bias is that we normalize all things that are that are not normal and when we shouldn't. And so if we build a file folder of things that are out of the ordinary, the anomaly, again, that doesn't mean we thump somebody or shoot somebody. But it's worthy of our attention and to not take our attention off of it. I hope that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And it just seems, as you mentioned earlier, that in our culture, we're trying to normalize so many things that are not normal. And it's very no, dangerous. No, it's, it's, it's maddening to me. I mean, we, mm-hmm. I have so many classes and we talk about these things around the campfire. It's, it's maddening that normal normalcy bias is a thing where we normalize every freaking behavior that's going on around mm-hmm. us. And it's, it's evil in, in its purpose, in my estimation. And at the worst, it's going to bring our whole society down if we continue to allow it to happen. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. I said that. <laughs> there it is, David. You always come off with one like that that you laugh at. There it is. <laughs> It'll be in the intro. I know, uh, just as a little aside, my son and I started an organic farm, first, first generation farm for us. And we were traveling to Ohio, the only place where we could get a a certain particular needed piece of equipment that we didn't need to know we needed even to do harvest two weeks ago. And man, when you're traveling, driving six, seven hours, you pick up all kinds of radio stations. So we ended up on this oldies station and man, I'll tell you every song that came up, my brain went to, I knew the artist, I knew the year and it just brought up memories, right? right? So that's that's the power, really. If you're situationally aware and you start looking around you and uh, you're looking at, you've talked about this, and in fact, you've taught me this, Craig, 
uh, looking at what baseline is versus disturbance. Like what does normal look like? Right. And once you, once you recognize what normal looks like in a situation, you know, just take an example, look out your window on your street. What does normal look like? What makes you feel confident that you can go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning? And then when you get a disturbance, then, then you can start to, you know, go down through this mnemonic. How do you say that? Mnemonic. Mnemonic. Mnemonic mm-hmm. filing system. And you can start adding to that folder, right? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good brother. <laughs> we still have, we still have uh, a couple of really good things here, but I think we're going to have to leave those. Yeah. Maybe. We'll yeah. Let's those dig into those another time. time. Okay. Great. Sounds yeah. good. So, Mr. Craig Cottle, um, I've got a bunch of books here. Man, it would take us probably 10 minutes to go through why those books are important. So what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to read them. Gift of Fear, Left of Bang, Extreme Wilderness Survival, your book, excellent book. Situational Sense, Human Hacking, How to Be Your Own Bodyguard, How to Spot a Lot. Man, I just added like four books to my reading list. <laughs> And I can read you like a book. So what I'm going to do, you've got links to those here, and I'll put those in the show notes that people can get by going over to Ultimate Survival Tips. Click the podcast tab, and down at the bottom, you're going to find a tab that says show notes. And uh, people can get all the notes with the stuff that we talked about today, including those books and including links to your stuff. So how can people find you, Craig? naturereliance.org is how you can find everything. There's a free course in there called Mindset Skills Tactics and Gear. You can check it out and see if you like it. Uh, But yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Thank you for having me on again. Yeah, man. Appreciate you so much. I'm hoping to get you on again soon and, and talk about this navigating and physical terrain, how to read places. What do you think that of that? That sounds good. That sounds good. I love that one. That's the brother and sister of this topic is how to read people and how to read places. That's for sure. Nice. All right, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for being on. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Before we head out of here, I'd like you to do three things to help us help others out so they can learn what they need to do now before the next disaster, emergency, or crisis strikes. First, Please pay it forward by sharing our family-friendly content with the ones you love and on social media. Then go give us a five-star rating and honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. Second, go on over to our mothership, ultimatesurvivaltips.com, and check it out. There's lots of free content over there that you're going to love, like our weekly survival EMAG newsletter. And you can jump into my tiny survival masterclass and grab some of my exclusive gear, like the MSK1 knife, tiny survival and first aid guides, and you can build your own pocket survival kit with my DIY Build-A-Kit app. And while you're there, don't forget to click on the podcast tab to get the show notes PDF for this podcast with links to the book list and everything else that Craig and I discussed today. All right, I think that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Until then, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.